Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Over the next few weeks, I hope to be doing various podcasts about the Middle East. More and more people are fascinated about the Middle East. They're excited. They're also concerned and worried. Many of my listeners have asked me to do more podcasting about the Middle East. So today, I'm pleased to present my first guest, Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahim Al Thani, the Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister of the State of Qatar. We sat at his home and chatted by the fire. We discussed Qatar's foreign policy, the recent visit by the Emir of Qatar to the White House, Lebanon, Israel, Iran, and much more. Take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I certainly found it fascinating. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. So I'm delighted to be here in Doha, Qatar, with the foreign minister of Qatar. Thank you for inviting me to your home. Uh, we've known each other for several years now. And uh, one of the things that I've always been impressed with is Qatar has about 2.8 million residents and about uh, 350,000 nationals. Yet from a foreign policy perspective, you are very, you have a very big footprint. You're involved in a lot of things. I want to start with Afghanistan. We had, I, I don't want to get into the withdrawal. I mean, it was a disaster for everybody. But Qatar, together with some of its neighbors, played a significant role in rescuing Americans who were there, rescuing other nationalities, rescuing Afghans who had to flee. Uh, how difficult was that? Well, first of all, Jason, uh, I'm really happy to see you here and to have you at my home and uh, also honored to be in, on your bo- podcast. Uh, regarding uh, the situation in Afghanistan and what happened uh, with the evacuation, actually, uh, we've been in, in, uh, involved in, in, in the peace process in Afghanistan for years uh, at the request of, of the U.S. government at the beginning when the dialogue was between the U.S. and Taliban and then between Taliban and the other Afghans. And we've been trying our best to find a resolution through diplomacy which is uh, a center of, of, of Qatar foreign policy. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the situation went into a different direction. And uh, after uh, the fall of Kabul at the hands of, of Taliban, uh, the U.S. and Qatar uh, were trying to make sure that everyone have a safe passage and trying to get them out of the country. So we've been uh, asked by our uh, allies in the United States in order to help and to participate. So we were uh, very much honored to be able to save that much lives. Actually, uh, this evacuation was almost the largest in the recent history that happened. Uh, The U.S. uh, carried more than 120,000, and Qatar proudly handled and processed more than 50% of this uh, uh, number. Uh, so this was, uh, first of all, uh, to uh, stand with our allies, to stand with our friends, 
and this is what Qatar always will do and also it has it's a humanitarian dimension so uh, we are uh, we are really uh, proud with what we did but I think the the work uh, which falls on our shoulder as Qatar as United States as the other allies is the uh, uh, the year ahead of us because uh, we need to make sure that Afghanistan remains stable, remains secure, uh, that they will have a way forward among themselves, among the Afghans themselves, to be a normal country and to be as part as an active and positive part within the international community. We don't want to see Afghanistan going backward. We don't want to see. Uh, whatever uh, uh, achievement being achieved in the last uh, 20 years to be reversed. So that's why we are continuing our efforts, uh, our diplomatic efforts with Taliban, with the other parties, with uh, uh, with the U.S. and our uh, also European partners in order to make sure that it's following the right path. And on that note, um, I should point out I did a, a series of podcasts about Afghanistan one of them was with a young Afghan college student who got their help escape to here, and I think he's moved on, but he recently got married, I heard, which, you know, you, you guys had a real impact on real people's lives, and he's living somewhere else now with his wife, so that's great. I wonder, um, back then when I did these podcasts, people were predicting that now the clock will be rolled back 20 years. Do you think that um, the society will, even with Taliban rule, evolve in it may take a long time but in a positive step particularly for women well i believe the situation over there uh, has uh, multiple factors uh, one of them the taliban ruling but uh, uh, the other one actually uh, is the social and the economic situation over there in afghanistan and when it comes to the women uh, issue and their rights to practice their rights and to be able to go to schools, to be able to to go to workplaces, we've been uh, urging Taliban, us and other partners, in order uh, to see uh, none uh, of of the steps that been taken in the last 20 years to be reversed. Unfortunately, in in uh, in the first few weeks and months, we didn't see much progress. We have seen some small steps, which is uh, uh, which are not uh, that much significant. But we keep pushing uh, Taliban to do more and to uh, make sure that the women are allowed to go uh, back to their workplace and to practice their life normally. Uh, there is another dimension of, of that problem. It's a cultural dimension. And I think this challenge has been in Afghanistan for for a long time. And uh, honestly, to be fair, it's not only in Afghanistan. It's in a lot of other countries that take them time. Uh, to change and to evolve. Uh, with the Afghan society, we have seen and we have watched in the last 20 years uh, how they uh, progressed and how they moved forward. Mainly, we've been seeing uh, people who are living in the cities, but also we shouldn't neglect that a lot of uh, uh, the Afghan population are living in villages and in, in remote regions who are still uh, uh, maintaining the same customs and the same culture. And this will take time uh, uh, for them to change. So we hope that uh, Taliban will understand 
that they need to embrace these changes in order to make sure that this can be disseminated to, to the other uh, areas in Afghanistan. Uh, right now, uh, we see the responses from them uh, not so positive, but uh, they are not uh, also uh, all negative. So we are trying to make sure that we convey the right message for them. We keep talking to them, we keep engaging with them, we keep urging them uh, uh, not to reverse any, any of the progress. But uh, also, uh, I think that uh, a country which have been in a war for 20 years, it's difficult to just you know, address uh, one social issue for them and uh, not being able to be helpful on the, all the other issues together. The U.S. and Qatar have had a very long-standing relationship. We have an important air base here. You're an important friend and ally to the United States. Uh, His Highness, the Emir, just had what seems to be a very positive visit with President Biden. In fact, President Biden, Biden designated Qatar as a major non-NATO ally. Tell me how that visit to Washington went. Well, uh, the visit went very well, actually, and uh, it represented a good opportunity for us, uh, for for uh, our leader, His Highness Sheikh Tamim, and with the President Joe Biden to exchange views on, on uh, multiple issues. Of course, uh, the tension that's uh, ongoing in our region and different situations that happening around us, whether it's on Iran nuclear deal or on Afghanistan uh, and even on the situation on the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, it was a good occasion to have a clear understanding of the U.S. Uh, policy in, in that region and also giving them our advice and our view uh, on what's happening uh, in the region. Of course, uh, bilateral relation has been uh, very strong, so we have discussed uh, areas of uh, increasing and intensifying our cooperation, whether it's on the security side or on the defense and the economic side and the climate change uh, front. So uh, it was very fruitful visit. Uh, we had uh, a wide range of, of meetings uh, with the president, with the other U.S. officials, and also uh, with members of, of the Senate and, and the Congress. And I think that uh, uh, what we have uh, achieved over there is first a clear understanding of the priorities and a clear understanding of the areas where we can score a quick win in our partnerships together. So this opens the door to uh, maybe a bit more, a bit of a sensitive topic, but you know who's another major non-NATO ally, Israel. Uh, you know me for a long time and, and as welcome and as comfortable I feel in Qatar and throughout the GCC, I've really grown to love this region. Um, Israel is a, a country that's deeply important to me. It's a country that I love. What would your message be to the Israeli public? You know, the Abraham Accords has changed a lot. I actually like to refer to Qatar and some other countries who aren't parties to the Abraham Accords. I refer to them as countries that have not yet signed the Abraham Accords. And I know that you're not signing it tomorrow, and it may not happen for quite some time, but what would your message to the Israeli public be? Well, Jason, uh, Qatar is a country for peace. Uh, we are uh, actually encouraging all the parties uh, to engage in a, in a genuine uh, peace talks between them. We are with the two-state solution. We want to see two countries living side by side 
with each other uh, peacefully. Uh, we have actually our main problem is the Israeli conflict with the Palestinian and I think this is uh, the core of, of the issue between most of the Arab countries and uh, and Israel and the Arab countries took a position uh, back in 2001 supporting the Saudi initiative with uh, uh, which was uh, done by late King Abdullah uh, which we call it the Arab Peace Initiative and uh, Qatar has been uh, uh, subscribing to to that initiative. Before that, when when we're, uh, when there was uh, a prospect for peace, Qatar was the first country in the Gulf that had a relation with Israel. We opened trade mission. We continued to have a relationship. We continued believing in diplomacy and having a peaceful resolution. But unfortunately, when we have seen the series of wars that been uh, uh, happening over there, uh, we lost this hope. Back in 2009, we uh, shut down the office. We kept our working relationship with the Israelis, hoping that this is, will be helpful for the Palestinians and will be helpful in the future to have uh, a, a, peace, a peaceful resolution uh, over there. And uh, what we are saying here in Qatar, we want to see a two-state solution. We want to see uh, the people of the two countries are, are, are not harmed. And this is what we are all for. And I hope that uh, we see in the near future some breakthroughs in, in, in the peace process itself because this is the only way that will be helpful to make the region uh, uh, de-escalated and much calmer than what it is right now. Right, and we can lose hope. And I should point out, and you touched on this, that in a way Qatar was way ahead of its time, way ahead of the Abraham Accords, because uh, Shimon Peres visited Qatar years ago. You did have the trade office. Israeli athletes have and continue to participate in sports here. I believe the Israeli national anthem was played at some of the sporting events. So um, I'm a big proponent of dialogue, and I think with more dialogue, perhaps, perhaps we can work our way through this. Let's talk about a country that gets too little attention these days, which is Lebanon. It's um, in turmoil. It's a country that has tremendous promise. Uh, how do we try to help fix what's going on there? Well, uh, first of all, I think that, uh, you know, uh, we need to understand the nature of, of Lebanon as a country. Lebanon is a country with... Uh, with a lot of potential uh, and the people from different backgrounds from different sects so uh, unfortunately the people of Lebanon uh, uh, been under a lot of political pressure among their own uh, uh, political leaders and this is what we have what resulted at the end of the day with what we have seen uh, uh, right now in Lebanon with all these divisions and a lot of foreign intervention uh, are happening to them uh, that uh, imposing foreign agendas uh, on those political leaders from different countries is creating more division and creating more problem and we have seen that the situation over there is deteriorating a day after day uh, now, uh, if we will see that uh, the solution is, is to discriminate part of, of the Lebanese uh, society or uh, to go against uh, uh, you know, uh, another part, uh, this is not a solution. The only solution for Lebanon is to have a real political reform 
and to form a system that is a national system that doesn't uh, qualify people because they based on their sector based on their background but based on their quali on their real work qualifications and this is will be the only way forward for any other arab countries who have this type of mix of people because building a sectarian state we have seen that uh, uh, this is uh, not a successful model in our region and we have seen that this is just creating more and more division among the countries uh, unfortunately we have seen that uh, in lebanon uh, it's became more and more sectarian it's became more and more uh, uh, subject to fueling by by uh, foreign forces let me put it this way and uh, this is not helpful and the only the only uh, part who is suffering are the Lebanese people and this is what we have seen uh, in Qatar we are as I mentioned at the beginning diplomacy is at the center and uh, of our foreign policy and that's why we are trying to find a diplomatic solution among the Lebanese to find to find a common ground for them to have a, a genuine dialogue among uh, uh, each other, to uh, define their national interest, to have a, a national country that uh, prioritizing their national interest uh, over their personal or their uh, uh, sectarian interest. And we see that this, is, this will be the only solution. And we are talking to everybody over there. Uh, we see uh, uh, some uh, of the political leaders with a desire to change but unfortunately there is something in the system that's holding everyone back let's spend a little bit of time on Iran so I come from the Trump school right I, I agreed with President Trump though I recognize that you know his cancellation or walking away from the deal by no means is a perfect solution but one of the things that I always say and I know that the Biden administration keeps trying to make a deal. I don't think the deal that might be made with Iran's leadership today is a deal that makes sense. But it's really less about America and much more about this region. I think that those that should be at the table are the GCC countries and Israel and others who are the ones directly affected by Iran. I mean, Iran is your neighbor. It's, what, a couple of hundred miles away. What is Qatar's um, position? Because I can't say What's safe for Qatar? Only Qatar can say what's safe, what's safe for Qatar. Well, uh, first of all, we don't want to see uh, a nuclearization of the region. We don't want to see a nuclear arms race happening close to us, close to our country. So we are with uh, a peaceful programs that are going just to generate benefits for their own people which is a peaceful nuclear program. So this is this is our main goal. Iran is our neighbor, is part of our region. Anything that will harm them, it will have a spillover over Qatar or any other GCC countries. We are uh, the ones who are directly affected by the good things that happen to Iran and the bad things what would happen to Iran. So for us, we have no option rather than having a deal with uh, Iran and uh, to make sure that whatever uh, nuclear uh, development over there is a peaceful program for the good of uh, uh, the Iranian people. Now, uh, this doesn't mean that we agree with Iran on everything. We disagree in different policies. We have different positions in different uh, countries in the region. We are 
uh, for dialogue, for engaging and making sure that uh, things which we believe that there is a disagreement and uh, there is uh, a room that uh, by the influence of uh, our countries or the influence of Iran to have uh, a stable region, that we should, uh, we should put our efforts toward that direction, confrontation, and just, you know, uh, facing each other or accusing each other from a distance is not going to work, it's not going to benefit anyone, and we have seen the result over uh, uh, the last years. So the only way is to have uh, a real, uh, a genuine security dialogue between us in the Gulf and Iran, and this is, this is, uh, uh, what we see the only starting point where we will start to have an understanding because I'm sure as the Gulf country have some concerns uh, uh, from Iran the Iranian themselves they have also their own concerns uh, from the Gulf countries so uh, we need to address those concerns around the table we need to address those concerns diplomatically and we've been calling for this now for years uh, the Emir has called for this back in 2015 uh, in the UN General Assembly to have a dialogue between the GCC and Iran. Uh, the Emir of Kuwait uh, tried also his efforts in, back in 2016, but nothing is moving yet. And we think that this is will only happen if there is a consensus well in uh, the Gulf countries and also uh, in Iran. And we, ha we started to see uh, some steps which we are encouraging from uh, uh, our other uh, uh, neighbors, uh, the Gulf uh, GCC uh, countries, who are starting an engagement with Iran, we hope that this is, will be uh, a starting for uh, a GCC-Iran dialogue. This is the format we believe uh, that can save our region. Uh, otherwise, if we will just you know uh, watch what's happening between the five plus one and Iran and wait for, for the outcome without being, you know, uh, an active participant in any talks with Iran, uh, this is, will not be, uh, will not make sure that our interests are addressed and our concerns are addressed, and also will not make sure that Iran's interests and concerns are addressed. Uh, we want to live, uh, to live uh, peacefully side by side. Uh, as you mentioned, there are a couple of hundred uh, miles away from us. In fact, they are less than 200 miles away from uh, from Qatar. They have borders with uh, with Kuwait. We share borders with them. The sea borders with them. The Emiratis share a sea border with them. So we are very close uh, to each other. And I think that the only way forward for us is to find uh, an understanding among each other. How can we coexist? How can we build on the common interest? And how can we address uh, the concerns of each other? You know, I'm sitting here with my son Noah, and I think it's fair to say that we are probably one of a small group of people on the planet who are in the line of missile fire from Iran proxies in Tel Aviv and in Riyadh. So it's, it's a big issue. Maybe it's time that the Vienna talks uh, are put aside and there are talks in Doha or Abu Dhabi or Riyadh with the GCC countries plus Israel, you'll, you're not surprised to hear me say that, and and see, and of course Iran, as you say, and, and see if some realistic thing can, can happen. I don't know that that's realistic, but let's put it out there, maybe, maybe, right? Speaking of the GCC, so it's always painful to watch friends have disagreements. 
Uh, and thankfully, a little over a year ago, uh, the, you had the Alula Agreement. Um, how difficult was the blockade, and how has it been going since about a year ago when the agreement was signed? Well, uh, the GCC crisis and the blockade here uh, has been uh, a difficult moment, for, not for Qatar only, but for the entire Gulf countries. Uh, and for the people of the Gulf especially because uh, it wasn't a good moment for us to uh, you know fracture the GCC as an organization or paralyze it from being an active player in uh, in the Arab world uh, GCC was the only stable block in the Arab region and uh, we should capitalize on such a thing we should capitalize on the capabilities but unfortunately, what happened, happened uh, now. But unfortunately, uh, there were like four years, which was uh, like a lost time for us in, uh, in the GCC. Uh, but also, fortunately, that all of us, we realized that no winner out of this crisis. We, we, or, uh, all of us, we have lost in the last four years. We've been forward-looking. We've been... Uh, uh, trying our best to make sure that this rapprochement between the Gulf countries lasts and we build a stronger foundation for ourselves to prevent ourselves from any uh, future crisis. We've seen that the harmony of the GCC is getting back together and we've been uh, working together, coordinating very closely in different issues and different uh, occasions and uh, I'm very happy that I have witnessed this uh, a good time uh, right now in the GCC and also very sad that we lost four years uh, in the last four years of the crisis so uh, I'm seeing that our leader uh, the other uh, Gulf leaders uh, they are enthusiastic about the future they are all forward-looking and we hope that we build on our on each uh, on each other capabilities now and uh, to strengthen uh, our foundation as GCC for the sake of our people. And we've been seeing, in America, we've been seeing pictures of your leadership together. There was a recent picture the Sheikh Tamim and uh, His Highness Mohammed bin Zayed. We had uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia with Sheikh Tamim. So it's, it's good to see that, that kind of progress. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, you punch above your weight in terms of foreign policy. What major foreign policy issue have I not asked you about that you want to address? Well, uh, we've been actually uh, these days, you know, uh, following very closely uh, the situation in Afghanistan and uh, the nuclear talks uh, with Iran. And also, of course, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict, making sure that uh, nothing gets out of control, no... Uh, no more wars and this is what we are aiming for and uh, also looking at you know uh, different issues in our region our region uh, keeps the whole world busy so it won't you know make Qatar uh, free of time to to uh, enjoy more time but I think the main priority now for us as 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 a state of Qatar is really uh, to look at the World Cup to make sure that we have a stable region around us for the World Cup to be uh, hosted in, 
in a friendly environment and this is uh, what we want uh, we have a lot of future plans for our countries in the gulf looking at uh, where are the areas where we can have a common interest together as gcc countries and how can we build on them so it's becoming more future looking more strategic looking and uh, spending some time in managing some of the crises which are which are around us last question uh, qatar spends a lot of money on humanitarian aid around the world what's your most favorite project that qatar um, works on well uh, we have actually our uh, contribution are to almost more than 100 countries around the world uh, we've been uh, doing a lot in the area of education and our main focus uh, almost we allocated around 50% of our uh, development uh, aid in, in the area of education and this is our favorite part and actually the favorite occasion that we had when we celebrated educating 10 million children around the world in uh, countries with uh, in a war zone or in a conflict zones because we believe strongly that the education is the weapon for those people for those young uh, generations to help them to fight for their future for a better future for them it has a strong correlation between the education and uh, getting you know uh, at the hands of extremism or being attracted by uh, other extreme groups so i think that we are building for something in the medium and the long term that help making the world a better place a safer place for everyone to live it's interesting it's because it's not just humanitarian aid it's actually helping to prepare the ground for a better world that's amazing Sheikh Mohammed, thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having us at your beautiful home. Thank you. Thank you very much for hosting me, Jason. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'd like to thank Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahman Altani for taking the time to sit with me and for also welcoming my son Noah into his home, for sharing his thoughts and ideas about today's Middle East, a complicated but beautiful region. I hope you found this episode informative and interesting. I know I did. I enjoyed my time in Doha, and my next podcast will be with Nasser Al Khattar, the CEO of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022, to go behind the scenes of the upcoming World Cup. I got to tour Stadium 974, one of the stadiums being built for the World Cup. It is a cool stadium. Make sure to tune in to learn more about the World Cup and the exciting plans around it. If you missed my two-part series about the Whoopi Goldberg Holocaust comment, or I interviewed a range of leading voices to discuss her comments, please do listen to those and any of the other episodes you may have missed. If you found this episode informative or interesting, please do share it and my other podcasts with your friends, family, and colleagues. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever your podcast can be heard. Please also do go to Amazon. My book is available on pre-order in The Path of Abraham. Go to Amazon if you're interested in the Middle East, about Israel, about peace, about the GCC or other parts of the Middle East, including Egypt and Jordan. Go to Amazon and search my name or search in the path of Abraham. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.